Welcome to the Pathologist Cut podcast. This RCPA podcast highlights the critical work of pathologists and the integral part pathology plays in medicine and healthcare. I'd like to um, introduce Professor Richard Scollier. He's a senior staff specialist at the Department of Tissue Pathology and Diagnostic Oncology at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, Sydney, Australia. He is both a consultant pathologist and co-medical director for the Melanoma Institute of Australia and a clinical professor for the University of Sydney. Professor Scollier provides a clinical consultation service for the diagnosis of difficult pigmented lesions. He receives more than 2,000 cases for opinion from Australasia and beyond annually. That is a huge number. Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for um, joining us today. You've got so many accolades, it's a bit embarrassing reading them all out just to see how busy you've been. Great to talk to you. And yeah, you know, we obviously go way back from from when you were one of our trainees at Prince Alfred Hospital in, yeah, many, many moons ago and went back to New Zealand. We don't get a chance to catch up too often these days, but um, yeah, thrilled when I heard that you were going to become the RCPA um, president and yeah, you're doing a great job. Thanks, Richard. I'll start in with our, our first question. So, so Australia and New Zealand has one of the highest rates of melanoma in the world. Can you explain what is the problem with melanoma? What is melanoma? And, and why we have these highest rates? Michael, you mentioned that Australia and New Zealand have one of the highest incidences of melanoma in the world. In fact, we have the dubious honour of having the highest incidences of melanoma. I think there's actually a battle. At one stage, Australia had that title for many years and New Zealand overtook Australia, but I think the latest data is Australia's back on top. So anyway, and it isn't a good honour to have, but unfortunately that's what it is. And it's really a consequence of the fact that um, the predominant population of of people who are living in our countries have origins from um, Celtic origin, so they have very pale skin, and our skin's not really built to live in the beautiful climate that we that we live in and and we enjoy an outdoor lifestyle in Australia and New Zealand and we expose our bodies skin to the sun and uh, ultraviolet radiation from the sun is what causes the vast majority of of melanomas so what what is melanoma melanoma is a, a cancer of the cells that produce um, pigment which is called melanin uh, and these cells are located uh, in the bottom part of the surface layer of the skin so they they ha- do have a normal function and that's to produce pigment uh, and the pigment acts as a, 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 a barrier to ultraviolet irradiation. So the pigment absorbs ultraviolet irradiation. So that's its normal function. And people who have pale skin, they don't make as much pigment. So the irradiation gets in and, and that can cause damage to cells. In fact, it's damage to the DNA of the cells, these melanocytes, that cause them to undergo changes which make those cells proliferate uncontrollably and then acquire the ability to infiltrate into underlying tissues and then ultimately they they get access to blood vessels and and lymphatic channels which allow them to spread elsewhere around the body and and unfortunately for people who that happens to it, it can be can be fatal. 
I recalled not that long ago, a report of a metastatic melanoma was certainly bad news for the patient. Um, there were limited treatment options and, and quite a poor outcome. But things have changed recently. Um, research is really making a difference. Can, can you explain more about your work? Well, it is absolutely incredible. I guess to start off with, um, if you detect melanoma early and when it's on the skin surface, make the correct diagnosis. So all melanomas are basically, they can be suspected by clinicians, but ultimately they're diagnosed by a pathologist. If it's detected early, diagnosed accurately, then the patient's treated. The vast majority of patients, more than 90%, will be cured by simple surgery, so simple excision of the lesion. But up until a decade ago, if the melanoma um, spread beyond the skin surface, all bets were off. And um, if it had spread around the body a, a decade ago, um, 50% of people would be would be dead within a, a year. And in fact, if it had spread to the brain, most people would be dead within six weeks. Uh, and the problem was we didn't have any effective um, drug therapies for people with with uh, advanced melanoma. So melanoma that's spread around the body, and really all we could do is give surgery. There's a few few um, toxic um, therapies like interferon, and some chemotherapies were were tried to carbazine, but basically they didn't work. And then through r- research, um, that there was. This uh, incredible breakthrough, it was discovered, um, you know, through um, um, multi-collaborative research, multidisciplinary collaborative research that about half of melanomas or a bit less were driven by a mutation in a particular gene called BRAF. And that was the the driver that that was causing the melanoma cells to um, proliferate and, and grow or one of the genes that was affected. Some drugs were developed that um, initially, in fact, drugs were developed that they were thought to be um, targeting BRAF, but and they didn't really have much clinical effect. And then people thought, oh, gee, this great discovery isn't amounting to anything. And then a few years later, some more selective BRAF inhibitors were developed and, and um, we were fortunate at Melanome Institute Australia to, to be part of the initial trials of these drugs and patients were coming in on, on death's door and, and Rick Kefford was leading these uh, clinical trials and he, he was saying, this is incredible, I've never seen anything like it. Um, in a short period of time, within a week, the tumours were melting away. The incredibly hot PET scans were going completely cold. Patients' symptoms had all go away. They felt great. They were going back to work. And, you know, he said, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like it. So this is an incredible breakthrough for people with BRAF mutant melanomas. And I might just highlight at this stage that pathologists played a, a critical role in, in not only the research that identified the BRAF gene being critical in melanoma, but in fact, to identify the patients who might respond to this therapy, pathologists are the ones who identify the, the presence of the mutated BRAF gene. But anyway, so the, the incredible breakthrough, great responses, but then after a while, about most people after about a year, they tend to not to respond to the 
targeted therapy with BRAF inhibitor. Nowadays, we combine it with a, another drug, what's called a MEK inhibitor, which targets the ne next protein downstream in the, in the signaling pathway that um, the mutant BRAF um, protein activates. So we combine these two drugs together. Anyway, pa patients usually develop resistance within, within 12 months and... Um, Unfortunately, resistance can be can be difficult to treat. So that was the first big breakthrough, and you know the first superhero that we developed in 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 this fight against advanced melanoma. But then more recently, probably I don't know five years ago, um, immunotherapy came about, and and that really has been a game changer. So uh, that's effective in up to 60% of people with advanced melanoma. It's very effective in uh, getting rid of the melanoma in the people who respond to it. In fact, we think many patient, patients are being cured by these therapies. And how, how immunotherapy works is it basically um, – Tumor cells are smart. They they develop mechanisms that can shield them from the um, body's own immune system, which its normal job is to recognise things like tumours and and to try and um, kill them off. Much the same as when you get an infection or you cut yourself, your body's immune system responds to that and and um, fixes up the damage is done. Cancer is also a foreign population of cells and. The immune system mounts a, a response against it, but tumours can um, they, they can block off the immune system. These immunotherapies, what they do is to is to block that shield, if you like, so to allow the body's own immune system to now recognise the tumour cells and 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 to fight and attack the the tumour cells. So that's how they work. And 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 as, as I say, incredible responses. We think some patients are, are being cured of their melanoma, who a decade ago they they would have been, you know, they would have been dead. That's a that's a great triumph, isn't it? Um, I've, in just such a short period of time, and two quite separate management protocols, two quite separate treatments. So tell me about the the zero death goal for melanoma. Well, um, at Melanoma Institute Australia, that's what our goal is to make sure no person dies of melanoma. That's what we what we want to do, and we've got a multi pronged strategy to deliver on this goal. We've organised ourselves um, so the Melanoma Institute's really a, a well, in some respects, it's a virtual collaboration of clinicians, clinician re researchers, scientists, health professionals researchers who come together to try and fight the disease and we're affiliated with um, public um, teaching hospitals in Sydney and, and various universities including the, the University of Sydney and we get together every um, Friday morning at the at the post centre in North Sydney to have our multidisciplinary team meeting where we discuss the most challenging melanoma patients and try and come up with a plan about how they should be managed. Anyway, th this is the institute. This is the the the, the best minds in melanoma uh, that I know. Anyway, and. Um, we, we have three principal pillars of, of our activity. One is clinical care of melanoma patients. The other is education of both healthcare professionals and, um, and the community. And uh, our last pillar is around research. So we recognise that not all patient melanoma patients can come and be treated at the Melanoma Institute, but we want to try and enable all patients to get the best possible care.
So one of the ways that we're going to deliver on this goal is through research. And we've got a multi-pronged research program that's organised around five themes which basically follow the patient journey. The first theme is organised around prevention and management of patients at high risk of getting melanoma. The second theme is around early stage melanoma, diagnosis and treatment of that. The third theme is around advanced melanoma, so melanoma that's spread around the body. And our fourth fourth and fifth themes cut across all of those themes. The fourth one is um, supportive care and survivorship. And this is becoming an increasing problem in melanoma where patients who previously would have died of their disease are now living for for a long time. And and that in itself presents an additional set of problems that we're tackling. And our last theme is around health economics, because we want to prove what we're doing is cost effective for the for the community. And I I must say, you know, we're talking about melanoma and and but I did allude to our first theme and I think it's really important for 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 all of us. particularly in Australia and, and New Zealand, is to heed the prevention message. So really important that we talk about sun-smart behaviour, try to avoid the sun in the middle of the day. When you're outside, wear a protective clothing, a broad-brim hat, long-sleeve shirt, um, put on sunscreen to any exposed skin sites, put on um, sunglasses and seek the shade whenever you're outside. It's a great public health message, isn't it? Hey, um, now we've had COVID in the last year, and that's been an interesting experience to say the least. How has that has that created any unique problems in in, in your clinical practice or in the in the world of melanoma? Yeah, well, it's been a challenge for for all of us. Um, I guess the first thing to say is the whole community, including you know, healthcare and um, researchers, have been focused on uh, COVID and, and rightly so. But, you know, melanoma doesn't stop in a pandemic. We've still had um, patients still getting melanoma and we need to manage patients effectively. When we had the first lockdown period, we had some, you know, anecdotal evidence afterwards that perhaps some patients were, were developing more, presenting with more advanced disease than what we would have liked to have seen. But we don't really have hard data to show that there was um, any uh, major systemic adverse consequences. Mm -hmm. But it has thrown its challenges to us at the Melanoma Institute, as I'm sure it has to you in delivering healthcare. We want to keep our patients and our our healthcare professionals safe. So we've had to reorganise how we do our work. uh, And um, so we've done a lot of things. We do a lot of patients are now seen wherever possible through Zoom um, telehealth consultations, our clinical trials teams uh, broken up into two teams to try and um, avoid crossover. So if someone does pick up COVID-19, we're not going to infect the whole team. And um, yeah, and also we're reliant on philanthropic money at the Melanoma Institute to keep going. And our major fundraiser are community-based fundraisers. And obviously you can't do things like that in a <laughs> In a pandemic, so that caused a big hit, and we had to, you know, make cha- we had challenging decisions to make about how we could resource what we needed to do to to keep things afloat. 
So, yes, it has been challenging, but, you know, I'm very proud of what, what we've done. In fact, our research output for the last 12 months has been a record year. We've had um, more than 200 publications and uh, including some in, in you know, very, very high impact factor journals. Writing papers and, and lockdown has been the theme. Yeah. Now that that brings me up to the fact that you've recently received the um, Cancer Institute of New South Wales Premier's Award um, as Outstanding Cancer Researcher of the Year. Now that's that's kudos. That's a, a huge achievement. And and I'm also told that you're the first pathologist to ever receive this honour. So so what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to the wider profession? Well, I think first of all. Um you know, I, I'm I'm very fortunate that I work in a, a in, incredible environment, both in the pathology department at Prince Alfred Hospital and at the Melanoma Institute, where you know we, we really strive for excellence. It's a it's a great team of people, and any any success that I've had is really a consequence of the opportunities that have come my way. At, at, from being in such an environment and you and I were both mentored by Stan McCarthy when uh, one of the world's greatest pathologists so you know those sorts of things rub rub off on you and provide opportunities the other person who who really made a difference for, for me and my outlook particularly in research was um, John Thompson who's a professor of surgery he used to be the head of the melanoma institute before um, Georgina Long and I took over. Georgina is a medical oncologist and she's someone also who I greatly admire and have worked very closely with for a long time. But yeah, there's a great team of people and, and me winning this award is more a reflection on the work that the team's done than, than me as an individual. I'm really, really proud that uh, um, that pathology has been recognised in, in this way because I think it highlights the fact that as pathologists, we really have a unique place where, that we bridge the gap between um, the, the patient, so, so clinical care of patients and basic science research because we you know we see bits of of, of, of patients in their biopsies as histopathologists so we make unique observations but we also have clinical knowledge and and you know I know the team at the that I work with uh, are incredibly appreciative of the skills and insights that that I and the other pathologists that I work with um, can bring to the table so so I think it does highlight that the that the opportunities for pathologists in research and and to be honest I, I think we've it's not just an opportunity I think we've got a responsibility to to really, you know, make a difference. Like when we make a diagnosis, when we see with one patient, we're um, reporting on a sample and, and that's very important for that individual patient. How they get managed to a large extent gets determined by how we interpret a pathology specimen. But I think doing research, it gives you an opportunity to make a difference to many thousands of patients. So I think as pathologists, we should embrace that because it, it's, it is important that we, we try and make a difference to, to as many people as we can. I really respect your modesty, Richard, but I, I know having worked with you, um, I, I hold you up in similar um, esteem as to, to Stan McCarthy. We're getting near the end of our conversation, I think. And um, what, what advice would you give to someone considering a role in pathology? You've, you've extolled the virtues of histopathology, but is there anything more specific or more general advice you would give? 
Well, the, f- the first thing that I'd say is um, it, it's incredibly interesting um, field of medicine to, to get into. Every day is different. Um, I think of it like we're tissue detectives. We're trying to f- figure out what a disease is and um, work out the best management for a patient in concert with the patient's clinical team. It's a very diverse uh, profession and uh, a very diverse working life that you get to experience. So when I started in, to be honest, I wasn't sure that this was a career that I wanted to, to dedicate my life to. I enjoyed seeing patients, but um, I thought I enjoyed it at medical school. I thought I'll give it a – I met some pathologists and um, one guy in particular, a guy called Bastian de Boer, was is a pathologist in Perth. He was singing the the virtues of it, so I thought I'll give it a go, and I really enjoyed it. And I think most pathologists that you speak to will tell you the same thing. They're really happy with their career choice. So um, my advice to anyone considering it, I think, um, particularly to medical students who really got to make choices about um, what career they want to get in, get into and, I think, and many great choices in medicine um, speak to a, a pathologist go and visit the pathology laboratory and get an understanding of what the work involves and see if if you think it's a good fit for you and um, that'll give you a bit better understanding of what, what's involved mm. but from my perspective it's a yeah, very enjoyable um, profession and um couldn't couldn't speak highly enough of of working in the, this vocation. We had a huge pathology um, curriculum when I was at med school, and um, more to my embarrassment is that actually I didn't realise you could have a career in pathology. I just thought it was something you had to learn to pass the test to pass your exams. It, it wasn't till ten years later, after some time in general practice, I realised, oh, those guys are onto something and uh, <laughs> I came back onto path. <laughs> and as pathologists, we need to get out there and, and um, get involved in the teaching of medical students and junior doctors whenever we get an opportunity. Okay. Well, thank you very much for talking with me this afternoon, Richard. It's it good to catch up. Yeah. I look forward to meeting face-to-face at some stage. Yeah, great to talk to you as always too, Michael. And yeah, and um, yeah. stay well and healthy. And um, congratulations on the great job you're doing as RCPA president. You have been listening to the Pathologist Cut podcast with RCPA president, Dr. Michael Drain. For the latest RCPA updates, make sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter.